everyone. Everyone. Whether you're the pastor, whether you're an usher, whether you're the supreme commander, whether you're a general, whether you're a mayor, whether you're the president, everyone must submit to governing authorities. Why? Because all authority comes from God. And those positions of authority have been placed there by God. So that how we respond to that authority is how we respond to God. Because people will often say, well, I love God, I submit to God, but I'm going to trouble with this person. God says you can't do that way. Verse 32. So anyone who rebels against authority rebels against what God has instituted and they will be punished. Notice it's rebelling against authority. We'll stop there. Last week, God puts authority into our lives as a spiritual covering. And last week we looked at the concepts of obedience and of rebellion. We started out with John 13, 2, where Jesus is with His disciples and it says He loved them to the end, verse 1. And then verse 2 says, And Satan, having already put into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. And we looked at that and realized there was a point, there, if Satan put that in Judas, there must have been a point when that wasn't in Judas. So Judas wasn't always a betrayer. Jesus chose Judas. And I know Jesus knew there was a prophecy to be fulfilled. But at some point, Judas allowed Satan to sow rebellion into him, and we saw that he sowed it into his heart. And so last week's subtitle and this week's subtitle is it's from the heart. Rebellion and obedience come out of the heart. Our our rebellious deeds, our sin that we commit in our life comes from rebellion in the heart. And we saw last week that it was rebellion that got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. It was rebellion that he brought into the garden to ruin and destroy God's creation. And we looked at what that rebellion was. We saw that Lucifer in, the, in, the, in, the, in, in heaven... Lucifer, who was this marvelous, beautiful creature that, that most likely, some, many theologians believe, was in charge of worship, an archangel in charge of worship. Somewhere along the line, he, because we saw that his beauty was a reflected beauty, because he was covered with precious stones, and those precious stones like diamonds and, and, and whatever some of those things were, they don't have any beauty in and of themselves. They simply reflect back the light that's in front of them. So his beauty was a reflection of the glory of the one he was worshiping. But somewhere along the line, he got his eyes off of the one he was worshiping and began to look at his own beauty, and that opened the door of his heart, and out of that eventually came rebellion, and he was take, took one-third of the angels with him when he was kicked out of heaven. And we saw then when he came into the garden with God's creation, he did the same thing. We saw the principle of rebellion. And I want to give you a definition of rebellion. These notes, again, I've told you, we're posting these notes ahead of time. So they were posted yesterday. Actually, Friday they were posted. I made a change in the ones for yesterday. So they're online. If you just go to our website, it's real obvious on the right-hand side. 
it says series notes. And the first one is today's notes. Under that are the archives of the prior ones in this series. We saw how Satan moved from the anointed cherub to Satan by what he allowed into his own heart. And then he sowed that into Adam and Eve's heart. Rebellion is much more than we tend to think it is. We think of rebellious people as those people that are obviously out there doing things, protesting or doing things against authority. But rebellion is a spirit. It's an attitude of the heart. And it's very subtle. So it's very important for this series that we understand what rebellion is. And here's what, here's what we're using as a definition. This is what we saw last week. Rebellion is when we take the free will... When I take the free will that God gave me, He gave me that free will to worship Him and to, and to love Him and to serve Him. That's why He gave me a free will. Rebellion is when I take that free will that God gave me to love Him, serve Him, and worship Him, and I take that free will to exercise, to decide what's right and wrong for my life apart from Him. It's to take into my own hands the decisions of and declare that I have the right above God and above you to decide what's right and wrong for me. That's rebellion. That's what Lucifer did. That's what Eve eventually did. And then Adam, we called him dum-dum, followed her quickly. By doing it, when I take the right for myself into my own hands to decide what's right and wrong as opposed to what God says, then I am establishing myself as God in my life. And I am establishing my own kingdom apart from God's kingdom. And that is rebellion. And it's so easy to do because we live in a world of rebellion and there's rebellion in our flesh because we were born into rebellion, the rebellion that Adam and Eve committed. We were born into it and we ended last week by saying that's why you must be born again so that your inner nature, the real you, the, the, the new man on the inside does not have that nature, it has the nature of God but that's only one third of you. You are a spirit, that's what was reborn. You have a soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, and they live in a body which is rebellious. And your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions have to be renewed along the lines of the new man that is on the inside of you. And so that's why Romans 12, 2 says that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind after we presented our body, verse 1, a living sacrifice. Okay, that's what we've covered. So both obedience and rebellion come from the heart. Today we're going to look at some examples in the Bible. One of the reasons the Bible is so powerful is it doesn't just give us principles, it gives us stories from real people's lives. These aren't just fables, these are people that really lived, faced the same issues you and I face with, and we get to see the decisions they make and the result of those decisions and why they made it. So we're going to look first of all at, a, at, a, at the first king of Israel, Saul. There are many others we could use, but we're going to look at this. So go with me to Samuel chapter 13. First Samuel chapter 13. And what's happened is a background while we turn there. In First Samuel 8, and we, I'm not going to, later on this year I'll get into why. 
The people, Samuel's getting old. Samuel was a prophet and a judge of Israel. That basically means he was a leader. And as Samuel got old, they looked at his children, his sons, and they were unrighteous. They were, in fact, they were crooked. And so the people see that Saul, Samuel has not raised up a successor. So what they decide is they want a king. So they come to, to Samuel and said, Now that you're old, you're going to pass on. We want a king to be our leader. We want to be like every other nation. There's a king they could see. And God says to Samuel, That hurts me because I wanted to be their king. They had the opportunity for God to be their king. Now one of the principles of the Bible is that the, that the, that the blessing and the prosperity of a nation is determined by the righteousness of their king. And I suspect that may still be true today. Though they had the opportunity for God to be their king. Imagine how blessed they would have been with that. So God appoints a man named Saul and has Samuel go and anoint him to be king. Saul at that point was a very humble man. Saul could not believe that this was given to him. And then Saul begins to take that mantle on and he lead, begins to become a leader and a, and a general and leads them into battle. And now what we're going to see here is in this chapter 13 that Saul has now decided to go after the Philistines. And so he's got his army together. They've attacked the Philistines, which were a, another nation that was in the, in the land that this promised land God had given them. There was always a thorn in their side. And the Philistines have raised a huge army to come back against Saul. And so the, they're, they're coming into battle array, lined up, and the, the Israelite army begins to see how many Philistines there are, and they become afraid. It says some of them went and hid in caves. They're trembling. Now, what you've got to understand is Samuel, the prophet, the man of God, had told Saul, when you get ready for battle, you need to perform a sacrifice to God. We had God's blessing for it. But you're not authorized to do that because you're a king. Only the prophet or a priest could do that. So you must wait until I come. I'll be there in seven days. What we're going to find out is the preacher showed up late. <laughs> he didn't get there in seven days. So Saul is faced with a situation where he's got real enemies out there trying to destroy them. His soldiers, which are the ones in whom he's trust, they're shaking in their boots and they're literally running and hiding. Some of them are running away. Some of them are hiding in caves. And Saul's looking around. This is my army that's going to defend them. And now he's, he can't go do anything until Samuel comes and performs a sacrifice and Samuel hasn't shown up then. So that's the background here. We'll just read down quickly, starting in verse 4. Now all of Israel heard that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had become an abomination to the Philistines, and the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as numerous as the sand was on the seashore, and they came up and encamped at Michmash, east of Bethaean. And the men of Israel saw, that's important, they saw that they were in danger, for the people were dis distressed. Then the people hid in caves, in the thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in the pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. In other words, they ran away. As for Saul, the king, the commander, he was still in Gilgal, and all, and all the people followed him, trembling. This is his army. He waited seven days, verse 8. 
Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgad. The preacher was late. And the people scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. So here's what's going on. That's the setting. But what's going on in Saul's mind is, I know God said through the prophet, I can't do this. I know God said through the prophet, don't go into battle until an offering of sacrifice has been made to God. But here's my problem. I've got a real army out there threatening to kill me and my big soldiers are scared and they're panicked and they're running away. So uh, listen carefully. God, I know God said not to do this, but I have to do something. I have to do something because of this situation based on what he saw and what he thought. Remember Eve? Satan comes to her and Eve says to her, he says, God's trying to keep something from you. God's trying to keep a knowledge from you that He knows if you have it, you'll be like Him. So God's holding something back from Him. So you can't trust God. So you need to take your welfare and your destiny into your own hands. And here's what will do it. See this tree? See this fruit? And she saw that it was good to eat. She saw that it was a good fruit. And she saw that it was a fruit that if she ate it, it would make one wise. She substituted her judgment of what was best for her from God's commandment of what to do. That's rebellion. That's what we just talked about. That's what's going on here. I can't tell you the times in ministry I've faced situations, whether it was financial or people or situations, and the pressure was on. You got to do something now. Look at this. Look what's going on. You got to do something now. You have to do something now. You got to move. Look what's going on. And I determined I am not moving unless I know what God wants to do. If the whole thing falls apart and God didn't say to do anything, that's not on my shoulders, that's on His. But if I take things into my own hands, I've now brought this church into rebellion. And I can't do that. That's what's going on here. So let's look quickly at what happens here. Verse 9, Saul said, bring burnt offering, peace offerings here to me, and he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened. As soon as he had finished presenting the birth offering, Samuel shows up. Isn't that interesting? You know, sometimes God will delay something, so you'll find out what's really going inside you. You'll find out what you're really trusting in, who you're really trusting in. When things don't work out on the timing that you think they should work out, you'll find who you're really trusting in. Now as soon as he'd finished presenting the birth offering, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, look at this, when I saw the people scattering from me. Remember what Eve said? I saw the fruit. Eve took what she saw as a higher standard than what God said. We do that all the time. Saul is taking what he saw happening and saying, because of what I see, I'm going to violate what God said. What I see and what I understand about that is more important to me, is more valid to me than what God said. He's saying, I can make a better judgment of how to get us out of this situation than God can. 
getting quiet in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> when I saw that the people were scattered from me, which tells you where his trust was, and that you did not come within the appointed days. God didn't come through the way He said He would. And that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. I saw all these things. I reasoned all these things. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal. Now he's predicting what's going to happen. And I have not made supplication to the Lord. Look at this. Therefore I felt compelled and offered... In other words, I was more moved by what I felt... I felt compelled to do something God said not to do. Isn't that what Eve did? I felt compelled to take this into my own hands based on what I saw, what I reasoned, and what I felt. I felt compelled. I exercised my own independent judgment about what to do, independent of what God said. That's rebellion. That's, we're going to put you back together. It's okay. That's rebellion. But we've got to know what it is. We've got to know what it is. Verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, You've done foolishly. I mean, in our natural thinking, Saul did the only thing that makes sense. But God says through the prophet, You've acted foolishly. You have... Why? Why did you act foolishly? Because you've not kept the commandment of the Lord God. That's paramount in God's kingdom. God's kingdom is established on God's authority because God's authority is the essence of who God is. Authority means He's supreme. He's number one. It's His will that's carried out. And it's carried out by His commands and His instructions. The kingdom of God is based on the authority of God. In fact, Hebrews 1 tells us that the universe is held together by the authority, the power, the word of that power. He said, what you've done foolishly is you have exercised your own judgment against God's command. In other words, the wise thing to do, in spite of what you saw and felt, the wise thing to do was to obey God's commandment. Because listen to this, when you obey God's commandment, you're under His cover. You're in the secret place of the Most High. So although there's an army bearing down on Him, although His own soldiers that He trusts in are panicked and hiding, the safest place was under God's commandment. It's like Peter out in the storm on the boat when Jesus said, Come. Peter obeyed Jesus' commandment. Now think about this. In our natural thinking, in a terrible storm, the safest place is in the boat. But they were panicked. In reality, the safest place was out on the water in the storm because he was out there walking on the word come. He was walking in obedience to what Jesus said. Obedience to God is the safest place you can ever be because you're under his covering. The second time we went on a missions trip, I don't have time to go into the whole story, but we were there with the Rackleys, and the night we arrived there, he has a heart attack. And we wake up to find out he's in the hospital. And we have a translator, and he's the only person that speaks English that we're working with, and we don't speak Spanish. 
And I remember being at the compound and, and we had to go back to the, the little Mexican hotel we were staying in. And the translator said, you, be, you better get back there now. And so he, he called a, a taxi cab driver and he said, don't you give him the money because he'll, I'll give him the money and I'll give him the instructions. And we're driving back and I, at midnight. It's pitch black. And I'm realizing we're, here we are, southern Mexico. I've never been here before. My wife's with me. And I'm trusting a man driving this cab. I can't speak to. I don't know who he is. And we're going somewhere. I've only been one night before. And we're in the middle of nowhere. And I never felt safer in my life. Because ne- I know we were where God told us to go. I've never felt safer. All those circumstances would have questioned, created fear or thoughts of fear. But I felt perfectly at peace because we had obeyed what God told us to do to go there. Okay. So look what Saul says. Look what Samuel says. He says, Because you've been foolish because you didn't keep the commandment of the Lord your God, which He commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not continue for the... Look at this. The Lord has sought for Himself. The people sought a king. The Lord sought for Himself a man after his own heart, after God's heart. See how God equates obedience with the heart? Just like Satan sows into our heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you've not kept what the Lord commanded you. So Saul's now lost his kingdom. But he doesn't lose it right away. He doesn't lose it right away. What happens is this. In, in chapter 14, um, excuse me, in chapter, uh, I'm going to have myself. What happens is now God chooses David to be king. And we'll see in a few minutes, David is a man after God's heart. And Saul, Samuel is sent to anoint David, but he's still a little boy, he's still a teenager. That's when David then goes out and slays Goliath, and we're not going to go through that story. Right. But Saul becomes apparent to Saul who his successor is. It becomes apparent to Saul that God has now chosen David. So now Saul begins to form bitterness and jealousy and envy in his heart towards David. Because this rebellion opens the door to every evil work. James says that. Every evil work. Where envy and jealousy and strife are, is confusion and every evil work. I can't afford to allow any evil work in my life, let alone open the door to every evil work. And those weapons of Satan, envy, jealousy, and strife, they are weapons to get into your heart to set your heart on fire, not for God, so that it can plant rebellion in your heart. And then you think you're entitled to things that God hasn't given you. And it settles into pride. And pride's the most dangerous sin you can ever get in. So what happens now is Saul now turns on David and takes his army. Instead of fighting the Philistines, he sends his army out to destroy David. And David has to flee. Saul ends up so far gone in his heart because he now can't hear from God. 
he now goes and literally consults a witch for direction. We'll see that in a minute. Let's go over to chapter 15. Now, unfortunately, this is not the only time Saul did this. This is a story of where God has told Saul, through Samuel, to go and destroy the nation of Amalek. And there's an explanation in here as to why. But the instructions are to utterly destroy. Utterly means everything. From the king, to the children, to the cows, to the sheep, every living thing. And you may say, why would God do that? Well, the only reason I can think of is you can get a people that are so far idolatrous that even their sheep have it. <laughs> my grandfather, when I was, my mother was living at home as a, as a teenager, my grandfather liked to go out and... Uh, in, he was filled with a spirit, but it wasn't quite the spirit they were talking about. And he came home one night on the back porch, and there was a kitty cat meeting him, but it had a white stripe down its back and a big long tail, and it wasn't a kitty cat. It turned around and let him have it full force, so much so that it woke my mother up in the middle of the night at the other end of this big house. My grandmother came out and told, said, Harsh, you're not coming in this house. You take those clothes off, throw them out there. She bathed him in tomato juice, which I guess breaks that down, and eventually let him come in the house. But the clothes, she dug a hole in the backyard, put them in there, set them on fire, and covered them up. Well, how come she didn't send them to the dry cleaners? Because when that smell gets so embedded in the fiber, there's no way you're going to get it out. And rebellion can get so established in a people even down into their children and their animals, that the only way to save righteous people is to put a hole, dig a hole, put them in the ground, or to utterly destroy them. And this was his instructions. So what happens? Let's go down to um, uh, verse 7. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good. They were unwilling, they were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now while this is going on, verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I was explaining to, to somebody the other day, this, the best place for a fat pastor to be to find out what's going on in the church is with the Lord. Because He can tell you things you're not going to find out on your own. Moses on the mountain found out what was going down on in the valley. Samuel, up all night with the Lord, found out what Saul was doing or not doing. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, verse 10, saying, verse 11, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me, and he's not performed my commandments, and it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, indeed, he set up a monument for himself, and has gone around and passed by and gone to Gil- Gil- Gilgal. Then Samuel went to, S- to Saul and said to him, Blessed are you, Samuel, blessed are you of the Lord. I, and this is what Saul, so Samuel shows up, and Saul says, Blessed are you of the Lord. Sounds like a nice religious person. I performed the commandment of the Lord. 
But Samuel said, then what is this noise I hear? Meh. 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 What's this meh I hear? Oh, what's this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And so, notice, notice what begins to happen here. Notice, remember, remember Adam, when he rebelled, the first thing he does is says, it's the woman you gave me. He, he shifts the blame. Look at this here, look at it here. And Saul said, verse 15, they have brought from the Amalekites for the people spare, the people, the people, they were brought from the Amalekites for the people, of course I'm the king, but the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. To, and, and they did it so they could sacrifice it to the Lord. Now, what did the Lord say to do? The Lord said, utterly destroy them. He did not say, bring them back to the camp and make an offering to me. So even if this is not the truth, if it, let's suppose it is the truth, that he's not coming up with an excuse. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He's still substituting his judgment of what to do for what God said. See, obedience is real simple. Remember the, the centurion talking to Jesus? He says, this is what authority means to me. I'm an officer. When I say to a soldier, go, he goes. He doesn't discuss it. He doesn't debate it. He doesn't find out where, why. He just does what I say. And when I say, come, he comes. Obedience is very simple to determine. You do exactly what you were told. Anything else we're going to see is not obedience, it's something else. They brought them from the Amalekites and spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. And the rest we've utterly destroyed. In other words, we partially did what you say. Verse 16. And Samuel said to Saul, Shut up, I mean be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said, speak on. (laughs) Verse 6, 17. And Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes and not the head of the tribes of Israel, did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? In other words, your authority comes from him. Verse 18. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Verse 19. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Samuel, Saul said to Samuel, look at this, but we did obey the voice of the Lord. Saul is saying my 90% obedience is counted as obedience. But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission which the Lord sent. I brought back Agad, the king of the Amalekites, and I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. That's not what God said. But the people... There it is again. The people did this. Not my fault. It's these rebellious people. But the people took the plunder of the plunder, the sheep and the auction, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord to God. Your God in Gilgal. And Samuel says, now look at this. So what Saul is offering, this is so important, what Saul is offering is an excuse. What Saul said, here's what we did. We know what God said, but we had a better idea. We're going to take the king. Now it may well be that was not his motive. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt. We had a better idea. We're going to take the king and we're going to take the oxen. And the be- these animals, these happen to be the best. 
And our intention was to offer them as a sacrifice to God. Now here, that sounds good, doesn't it? That sounds wonderful. We've taken these things. We're going to use them to honor God and to worship God. The problem is that's not what God said to do. So they're substituting their judgment for what's best for God opposed to what God said to do. Remember last week we looked at Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus said, On that day many of you are going to call me Lord, Lord. And I'm going to say, Why do you call me Lord, Lord when you do not do the will of my Father? And they said, well, we cast out demons in your name. We, we do all these things in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. What they were people was doing things for God, but not doing what God said. Same thing. And here's the famous verse which people misunderstand. Samuel said, Has the Lord God as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord God? And that's often taught is, is that, that, that you know, God does, would rather have us obey Him than perform sacrifices. That's not what He's saying. The sacrifices and the offerings are what Saul said was a good thing to do. In other words, God's saying, God, Does God take greater delight in your simply obeying Him than doing something you think is good to do? Because when we substitute what we think is good for what God said, that's rebellion, because you're going to see it. As in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Obedience in God's mind is better than any better idea you and I might have. Next verse. For rebellion... So he's equating this with rebellion. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness. Whoa. Stubbornness is equated with rebellion? When it's against God, it is. God called the Israelites on many occasions stiff-necked. What's a stiff neck? It won't bow. It won't turn to see what he's saying. It's set on what they want to do. Bless God, I'm going to do what I think I ought to do. That's rebellion. And our world is saturated with it. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of unborn babies are offered at the altar of sacrifice of a woman's right to decide for her own body. Now, if you've ever had an abortion, God forgives that. God's gracious. And you most likely were bought into something that was taught in the world. But I have a right to my body. If you're a Christian, Romans 12, 1 says, present your body a living sacrifice. If you're a Christian, your body is the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Ghost of the presence of God. It's a temple to God. We don't have the right anymore as a Christian to do with our body what we want to do with it. It belongs to God. And when we exercise our own ownership of our own body, that's rebellion. Now, in many cases, it's ignorant rebellion. We don't know we're doing that because that's what's taught out there. But that's what's crept into the church, which is why we don't see the power in the church that you saw in that first generation because they were under 
authority. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I told you earlier that after this, Saul now goes for he can't hear from God. In fact, an evil spirit comes on him. He's opened the door to a spirit. And he's gotten to the point he can't hear from God. He can't go to Samuel. So now he goes and literally consults with a witch. This is serious stuff. This is why we we can't play church. We've got to be undercover. There's so many people out there talking on Facebook and deciding, well, I don't like this church, I like this church, I don't like this person, I don't like that person. Who? Who appointed you God? Let's go on. We'll stay with this story. Go on. Verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, Now look what he's going to do. I've sinned. I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord. Now this is a very good lesson here. This sounds like repentance. See, what do you do? What do you do when you realize you're being in rebellion about something? What do we do? We repent. We repent. That's what they did on the day of Peter's first sermon. What must we do? They repented. What must we do when we realize we're in rebellion? We repent. This is what Saul appears to be doing. But there's a false repentance, which is, I'm sorry I got caught. When David got caught committing adultery and then murdering his adulteress's husband, his first words were, I've sinned against my God. Not, I got caught. Not, I'm sorry. Not, is this going to cost me my kingdom? Not anything about him. I have sinned against my God because he was a man after God's heart. In that case, he blew it. He made made a terrible mistake. He sinned terribly. But his heart was broken because he hurt his God, because his heart, this is what we're talking about, it's all about the heart. His heart was towards God, to love God, to please God, to obey God. And he messed up, as we all will mess up. He got rebe- but he repented, and God forgave him and restored him. There were consequences, but he forgave him and restored him. Let's see what Saul says. I've sinned, I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared, look at this, because I feared the people. That's an amazing admission of failure. I feared the people more than I feared God. I needed the people more than I needed God. In John, the Gospel of John, in verse chapter 12, it talks about there were many of, many of the Pharisees, many of the leaders that believed in Christ, but they wouldn't confess Him because they loved the approval of men more than the approval of of God. And elsewhere, John says, how can you, Jesus says, how can you believe, how can you really believe God if you're still searching for the approval of men? Here he couldn't obey God because he, he needed the approval of the men more than God. Verse 25. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. This all sounds good. 
Let's keep going. Let's find out what's really in there. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Verse 27. Then Samuel turned around to go. Saul seized the edge of Samuel's robe, and it tore. Verse 28. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from your hands today, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Verse 29. And also the strength of Israel will not lie or relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. That's talking about God. Look, 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 what's, look what, this is Saul's heart. Then Saul says, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord. In other words, make me look good. Okay, I know I've sinned, but, but may, I want to look good. I, I know I messed up, though, but let's keep this private. Okay? Because I, I, still want, I still need the honor of the people. I still need the honor of the people. Well, we're going to do this this week. I'm gonna, it's going to get extended one more week. Because next week we're going to look at two other examples. And these are stories out of David's life. And we're going to see a very different reaction. A very different heart. What are we learning? We're returning that rebellion and obedience are not actions. They're attitudes, spirits in our heart. Satan put into the heart of Judas at some point to betray Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Satan put into the heart of Eve and then Adam a spirit of rebellion to take things into their own hands and defy what God had said. Saul was open to that same spirit. Why? He was open because he was insecure. Fatal flaw for leaders is to be insecure because it's an open door that Satan uses people to make you feel secure instead of the Lord. So if you're insecure, you need to begin to seek the Lord before you seek the approval of people. What do we do then? What do we do? I'm going to... How does this apply to us? In each case, the issue to God is not the results. Saul was focused on the results. Well, what matters here is we've got to defeat the Philistines. What matters... And Saul substituted the ends for the means. Paul said, a good result justifies me taking things into my own hands. God says, in my kingdom, that doesn't justify rebellion. In my kingdom, what comes first is you obey me. You obey me. So any place where we have a different attitude is rebellion that's in our heart. Saul was willing to violate God's authority to save himself and his soldiers. He was more concerned about how he looked than God's will. He did not trust that by obeying God, God could do more for him than he could do for himself. Let's just take a moment right now and close our eyes. And let's just look in our own hearts. We'll have a chance to do this again next week. And as we've been listening today, looking at the Word, have we seen any of this in ourselves? How do we handle how do we handle our boss or 
somebody who is an authority in our lives and, and we don't like the way they're doing things. We either think we have a, could do a better job or, and maybe we could. We think maybe we know better and maybe we do. But down in my heart, how do I respond to the authorities that God's put on my life? It may be the government. It may be my boss. It may be the police. It may be me. It may be people in the staff in here. How do I respond? How do I respond to the Word of God? Do I look at the Word of God and then decide for myself whether I think it, it makes sense here? Or do I submit to the Word of God? What place does God's Word have in my life, in my heart? Father, as we look at these things, and as we're honest, we're undoubtedly going to see areas that Your Spirit points out to us. Because we've been raised in a rebellious world and in many cases raised in rebellious homes. Not outwardly rebellious, but inward attitudes. And we've picked them up And Lord, some of us have been saved a long time and and some of these still creep into our lives and they've crept into the church in many cases. Father, you're desiring, no, you're commanding that things be set in order in your church, among your people. It is a spirit of rebellion in the world because the the, the Lord of rebellion is out in there. He's the God of this world. But this is your kingdom here. We're your kingdom. And Lord, we come to you today to repent of any rebellion and ask the Holy Spirit to set our eyes on you, to see who you really are. You are the Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you are Lord over this house. You are Lord over our lives. You are the authority in the church and in our lives. Give us a greater, clear vision of that that we may submit to it and come under your cover and under your protection. In Jesus' name, amen. While we're still in this attitude of prayer,